Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast dedicated to the career of King Nearest himself, Dolph Lundgren. Today we're taking a look at the second film in the 2018 Lundgrenaissance, Aquaman. Lundgren closes out the momentous year of Dolph in this adaptation of the DC Comics underwater superhero. In this blockbuster theatrical release, Jason Momoa stars as the titular superhero who strives to claim his title as the King of Atlantis while also attempting to stop a war erupting between the sea and the surface. Lundgren takes on a supporting role as King Nearest, a lord of Atlantis whose loyalties are swayed to the dark side as Aquaman battles for the throne against his power-mad half-brother, Orm. Legend has it that one day, a new king will come who will use the power of the trident to put Atlantis back together again. It's the exact spot that Volko gave me my first swimming lesson. I already know how to swim. Not even close. You have to forget all the teaching of the surface world. Go deeper. One cover your Atlantean instincts. He spent his entire life training. Training to be the best. My parents made me what I am. I am the protector of the deep. In this trident resides the power of Atlantis. In the wrong hands, it would bring destruction. But in the hands of the true heir, it would unite above and below. The time has come for Atlantis to rise again. We must stop him. And how do you propose we do that? By retrieving this. I already got one of those. Not like this one, you don't. The war is coming to the surface, whether you like it or not. Your mother always knew you were special. She believed you'd be the one to unite our two worlds. Atlantis has always had a king. Now I need something more. What could be greater than a king? A hero. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me once again is my buddy and show regular, Chris Prentice. Chris, what is up? Oh, not too much, Sean. How are you doing? 
You know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing, you know, this is, uh, you know, when, when you and I first uh, were, were talking about about this, you know, of course, this is 2018. This was the year of Dolph. And obviously now we're in 2019. But it was just really, really wild to see to see our boy in such big blockbuster movies coming out within a month of each other. I mean, who would have thought that uh, that, that this would be happening? So it, it was a real treat to see. We had Creed 2 that came out um, right around Thanksgiving. And and of course, I did the uh, the the review of that one with uh, with my buddy Craig Cohen. But yeah, when uh, you and I were talking, uh, I, I was a little, I was a little on the fence, and I was a little apprehensive. I was thinking, you know, obviously I'm going in chronological order, as a lot of movie podcasts do, and I'm thinking, is this going to throw off the momentum of that if uh, if I do one episode on Creed two and one episode on Aquaman? And I remember you said it perfectly, Chris. You said, "Look, now is the time to talk about it." So you almost have to do episodes of these films now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are these are movies that are in theaters. I mean, Aquaman up until this past weekend was, you know, the number one movie in the country. And, you know, I think that people now they want to hear about it. I mean, you know, I, I you could probably, you know, do episodes on these both of these movies again in, you know, three or four years just to see if maybe the perspectives change. But I, I think you definitely want to have uh, episodes out there right now just to kind of capitalize on the fact that, you know, they're, they're both in, in theaters and both doing very well. Yeah, no, I mean, this uh, Aquaman is it, it's a powerhouse. I mean, it is the uh, what, what is it? It's the most successful of all the DC Comics based films, which I think is certainly saying something, because let's face it, for years in the in the social consciousness, uh, Aquaman has always kind of been the the punching bag hero, if you will. He's always been the hero that's kind of uh, gotten a lot of crap from uh, from <laughs> from many. So it's really kind of it's really kind of cool. And you know that DC, the DC Comics and Warner Brothers are just grinning ear to ear at the fact that the hero that was always kind of the uh, the black sheep if you will of the uh, of the DC comics family is the one that's now leading their uh, their DC extended universe yeah well I, I, they definitely have to be thrilled I mean I, I remember when it was first announced that it was gonna come out you know around Christmas it looked like a pretty crowded Christmas and, and it ended up being so, but I, I, I was kind of curious how it would do against Mary Poppins and the Bumblebee movie. And then at a certain time, Alita Battle Angel was supposed to come out the same weekend. Uh, they were wise enough to jump off it, though. I don't know. I, I, I think that one's doomed from the get go anyway. But and, and so I, I, you know, it looked like it might have been kind of a tough, uh, a tough time for Aquaman to break out. But turns out Warner was extremely smart. You know, they know that opening it right before Christmas, you've got basically two weeks where a lot of people are just on a straight vacation and every day at the box office is basically like a Saturday and they, they've been able to kind of ride that crest. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's a little surprising that it's, it's, I think worldwide going to end up being the, the biggest of the DC movies, uh, domestic. It'll probably end up trailing Wonder Woman, um, but yeah, yeah, I think it was a, a good a good decision by Warner to release it when they did, and I think it's a good decision that they uh, they they gave this movie to to James Wan, who had kind of his own unique feel. This is a movie that really doesn't have anything to do with a lot of the Zack Snyder infused earlier DC movies. This is its own entity, and I think that's one of the reasons it's it's such a success is that this feels like it's its its own movie. It's not really part of anything else. This is just the Aquaman movie, 
and you don't have even though that character was in the Justice League. Really, if if you didn't uh, see that movie, you're fine. I mean, you pretty much get everything you need from this film about Aquaman. Yeah, there is one I, I counted because I actually saw this in theaters twice. And there is one throwaway line that if you're listening to it carefully um, that you will pick up on. But it's when um, it's when Aquaman and Mera uh, first uh, it's when Mera comes to comes to the surface to recruit Aquaman. Um, she has one line about how he defeated Steppenwolf. And that's pretty much it. And I think they yeah. threw that in kind of to kind of connect it to that whole to that whole universe. But yeah, it's pretty much uh, yeah, it stands on its own two legs. Which I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I, I'm, we're gonna be discussing this a little bit here. But I'm gonna be honest. I and I, I know that I'm gonna get stones thrown at me, and people are gonna disagree with me when I say this. But I've kind of gotten a little burnt out on the Marvel movies, man. I, I really have. And I, I think, I think what Marvel has done, I mean, has been amazing. I mean, let's face it. They, they were essentially, they've been able to start their own films in house and create their own studio, which I think is amazing. But I, you know, it, it, what's interesting to me about the Marvel universe is it's gotten to the point where in order to see the next one coming out, you have to have the knowledge of all the previous. 10 that have been out it's nice for once to see you know and in this case aquaman to see this one film come out that can stand on its own two legs and still works and if you've seen the other films that preceded it excellent great but you don't have to see those to know what in the heck is going on and i think that's pretty refreshing in this day and age to see it especially considering i mean (laughs) we're we're getting a new superhero movie coming out it seems like every month you know what i mean so that's kind of cool yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I don't really have, I don't really have a strong preference when it comes to Marvel or DC. I, I don't really get the 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 people that kind of get themselves into one camp or the other. I'll admit, I'm just sort of fatigued on superhero movies in general, which is you know why I was uh, actually surprised that I ended up having fun with Aquaman because I think it actually does feel very different. It's it's a much goofier movie than than a lot of uh, the superhero films that come out. And uh, so I, I don't really have too much of a dog in the fight between Marvel and DC. I, I do think that, that the Marvel movies, they've become a little more cookie cutter as they've gone along where they all kind of have a similar look. And they they have kind of a similar vibe, and you, I, I'm just not seeing them as as uh, as as original on their own as as I would like to see. Um, but again, I mean, I think that they, there there have been really good Marvel films, there have been really bad ones, um, and you know, DC. I think their uh, their batting average has been a little bit lower of late, but um, you know, I think hopefully now. They kind of learn from all the mistakes of uh, sort of the, the first wave of movies and, uh, you know, that they, they realize now that what they should be doing is just focus on making good individual films, try to build characters that way, and don't worry so much about all the, you know, meet-up movies, team-up films, and this character in that universe, and this jumping over here, and just kind of focus on making good individual movies, and the rest will take care of itself. I mean, that basically was what happened with Wonder Woman, and I think they've done the same thing with Aquaman, and and that seems to be the strategy that's paying off. 
Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, this is this is the Dolph Lundgren podcast and his role is is pretty brief. I mean, he he's but I mean, he's a presence on screen that you that you do remember, at least, you know, I did. Of course, maybe I'm a little biased, but yeah, you know, you and I have been talking for years about how cool it would be to see to see Lundgren show up in one of these superhero based movies. And I distinctly remember that day you texted me saying, "Okay, hey, look. Dolph Lundgren is not Cable, which, in my opinion, I mean, I liked Josh Brolin and Deadpool too, but I still think Dolph would have made a pretty kick-ass Cable. But I remember uh, you you said, "Look, hey, he's not going to be Cable in Deadpool too." However, he was cast in Aquaman, and it was just it it, it was almost kind of hard to believe. It was like seriously. I mean, I because I remember I didn't believe it, but yeah. Um, and that was, gosh, what was that? That was almost two years ago. I remember that was that was announced, and uh, and here we are. Yeah, I mean that was. I mean, I I seem to recall that you know the announcement that he was going to be in it was maybe right around or just after the time that uh, Don't Kill It was put out, and I think there's been talk that uh, you know the director of that movie, uh, Mike uh, Mendez, that he is good friends with James Wan, and that there you know there might have been some some sort of a a recommendation on uh, on Mike Mendez's part to uh, to you know basically say hey you know the Dolphs uh, he knows what he's doing he's good on set and uh, maybe as a recommendation to to James Wan though I've also read where James Wan is a is a fan of, of Dolph so yeah again I I think that's kind of that that time period is is where I remember the announcement being initially made that he was going to be an Aquaman and that's you know that's you know just about two two years ago. Well, and before we before we begin discussing the film, uh, you know, I, I'm curious, what has been your experience with the character of Aquaman? Now, I know that um, you and I are, are, are similar in this sense because you and I both grew up reading comics, especially in that uh, that 80s and that 90s period. But if I if I'm not mistaken, Punisher. Okay, was always your guy. He was always your number one, your number one uh, hero, even though Punisher is not a hero. But that was always your number one character that you like to go to. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know that that was kind of the the character that that I was uh, I don't know if I raised on as a little strong, but that was always my favorite. Was growing up was uh, the Punisher, and, and still I don't read the the comics as much. I mean, I kind of wait for the trade paperbacks to show up on Amazon, but I still read that character. And you know, honestly, I don't think I've ever read an Aquaman comic book. I just never did. Uh, you know, to me. Aquaman was just kind of a character on those old uh, Justice League cartoons. And, you know, he was just kind of there. He swam. He talked to the fishes. Uh, you know, wasn't really a character that I ever had much interest in. And, you know, again, it, it basically, yeah, like you had mentioned, the character's kind of been a punchline for a long time. And that's sort of, in fact, one of the better memories I think I have of the character is uh there's an old Saturday Night Live sketch about uh, the the death of Superman, and they, yep. they had uh, <laughs> David Spade show up as Aquaman, and he he's uh, his big line is "I brought some shrimp," and yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's that's maybe you know the 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 highlight uh, previously to this previous to this movie that was maybe my uh, my best uh, memory of the character was uh, was that sketch it just was not a character that was on my radar. You know, okay, yeah, so I agree with you. You know, I never really cared one way or another about the character of Aquaman. You know, you know me, Captain America, he's always been yeah. my number one, and then Superman. 
Uh, those have always been my two favorite characters were Captain America and Superman. Um, I always felt, you know, with regard to Aquaman, I always felt it was a little unfair how the character has been treated over the years. And if you look at this, I, I kind of had this realization um, right around when Aquaman came out. But it's interesting. I think we really have the cartoon Super Friends to blame for for Aquaman depicting him in this light. Now, Let's be honest. The, the the Super Friends cartoon show, it presented most of the DC Universe superheroes in a pretty ridiculous and uh, uh, not fair light. But I think Aquaman was the one character who probably came out the most scathed from that particular from that particular representation. And then we had uh, there were jokes thrown about him on Family Guy, uh, the sitcom Big Bang Theory. So, yeah, he he's always kind of been this this punching line of a character. But I will tell you, uh, back in 2005, I picked up the the video game for the Xbox. I used to, back in the day when I had time, I, I did have an Xbox. <laughs> and and I did um, pick up a video game for Xbox. Were you familiar with the Aquaman game that was out for, I think it was Xbox and PS2, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, nope, I, 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 I okay. am not familiar. I mean, I know everything back then got a video game. I mean, there was even a Sopranos video game. So it doesn't surprise me <laughs> that there was an Aquaman game, but, um, but, but no, I, I did not play it. Well, see, and I, um, I'll be honest, it was not the best video game. It was pretty much just, you know, a button mashing and punching and smashing and all that good stuff. But I do remember, to me, I thought it was kind of weird because I remember seeing it on the shelf and I thought to myself, okay, that's kind of odd. You know, wh- why does this, this character who's always kind of been the, uh, the punchline, as we keep saying, um, he has his own game. And so I did pick it up. And like I said, it was not the best game, but it did expose me more to the character. And so in playing that game, I went ahead and I did pick up a few back issues. And I realized that this is one particular hero who's never been given really a fair shake. I mean, if you look at the character, his origin and his overall story is very Arthurian. I mean, I mean, the entire story, it's pretty much the uh, the legend of King Arthur, but it's all underwater. And if you look at Aquaman compared to all of the other, all of the other, not just DC universe heroes, but just, you know, Marvel as well. He's a pretty original, you know, original, cool character. And I will tell you, if you dig deep enough into the countless stories, I have not read all these, so I'm not going to say I'm an Aquaman expert, but I do know if you, if you dig and you do read a little bit, um, he has had some really cool stories. I mean, there's one story arc where he lost his hand and it was replaced with a harpoon. And then he later got his hand back, but it was made of this uh, enchanted water. Um, And there's another story. um, I believe it is called death of a prince where he loses his infant son in one storyline. So there is some, there is some really cool deep stuff. If, uh, if anyone is, is curious about uh, seeing what else is out there with regard to the character. Yeah, well, hopefully they bring the uh, the harpoon hand to the to the big screen. That does sound pretty cool. I I have seen pictures of the character uh, in that version with the harpoon hand, and uh, yeah, that that would be a pretty uh, cinematic uh, depiction uh, for the character. But you know, again, like it just was never really a character that was one that I was into or that I really had any time to read up on. And yeah, you know, just again, I mean. I think the other thing I, I, I remember was, the, you know, the fake uh, Aquaman movie on Entourage. And, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, so those are those are the little things that come to mind. But, yeah, so again, 
uh, you know, when it was first announced that uh, Jason Momoa was going to play him in the Batman versus Superman movie, I mean, I was actually I was pretty excited because I thought, oh, you know, they're going to do something a little different. It's not going to be, you know, the blonde haired guy with the, you know, with the little curl up top. And you know they're going to do something a little bit different, and I and I I think they were they were wise to do so. I think that oh the, yeah, no uh, the Momoa kind of the you know bro hey what's going on type of character was uh it was a smart move. I I think they they really hit Pater with that because I think he's he's a a better presence on screen than he's been given credit for. No, they um they making turning uh, Aquaman and adding this uh, this rock and roll kind of heavy metal element to the character was an extremely extremely wise move. And you know, I, I will say there was a lot riding on the DC extended universe. I, I think it's called the DC EU, you know, <laughs> on various yeah. online communities. But yeah, there there was a lot riding on on them uh, for this to be a success. You know, because let's face it. Uh, DC and Warner Brothers have had a bit of a uh, have been a, had a how do I want to say this? They've had a an uphill battle in in terms oh, yeah. of uh, in terms of their films. And you know, I will say, and again, I'm probably in the minority on this on this camp. But um, me personally, I've kind of been rooting for them and wanting them to see the success. I mean, obviously, they saw the success that Marvel has been having, so of course they want to, you know, that they have this this huge rich collection of characters that, that they of course want to uh expose the public to and of course make some bank on but i feel like in a weird way you and i have kind of talked about this a little bit but i feel like in in an odd odd way you know i feel like fans have been spoiled by marvel in a sense that the very idea of the rival comics universe making films based on dc properties is is something like it, it's really kind of weird because if you think about it even when Batman versus Superman was announced and the same thing with Justice League. Now I know and you guys, you and I have talked about this as well. Batman versus Superman and Justice League, those were not the best films. But if you really think about it, those films were getting <clears throat> so much hate and backlash even before they were made. Even when they were in the pre-production stage, it's like there was just this this toxic vitriol regarding those films even existing almost like they were infringing on on the marvel universe and there could not be another universe of films did you notice any of that oh yeah yeah i mean there's I, yeah I, it, it's it's strange to me it, it almost kind of reminds me of you know wrestling back when it was wwe and wcw and yeah. you kind of had your wwe fans and you had your wcw fans and to me, it's like, well, you know, if 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 you like a character, or uh, what difference does it really make which company it is? And that's kind of how I feel with the with all the comic book movies. Is you know, if they do a good job, they get the right director, they get the right people involved. I'm not really, I don't really care which you know, uh, which corporation is running it. If it's, it's you know, it's basically, I, if it's Disney, if it's Warner Brothers, it, it doesn't really matter. Just make the good movie. And you know, I think Warner Brothers made a huge mistake early on uh, by you know forcing the, these kind of these you know versus movies and team up movies and not really letting the characters breathe. You know, I mean, I, I think they kind of did did Ben Affleck uh, uh, no favors by just starting him out immediately in the Batman versus Superman movie. I think you know coming on the heels of uh, the Christian Bale films. 
you know, probably would have been smart to give Affleck, you know, just one movie as kind of a standalone right. Batman movie to kind of, you know, just kind of establish himself before throwing him uh, in the movie with Superman. And, and I think they were wrong to that. They really rushed the Justice League. And I think it totally shows. I mean, that movie to me, that movie was just a mess. It's like, I, I don't really yeah. know what's going on in that movie. And they, they just everything was just so quick. And yeah, they've definitely, I think, kind of uh, turned the corner now, um, you know, between Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And I, I think they're, they're definitely headed in the right direction. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm looking forward to it necessarily, but I, I'm curious how the uh, the Joker movie is going to end up uh, towards the end of this year. Uh, I know it's not necessarily part of the DC, you know, current universe. It's just, just going to be a, a, a DC movie that, that's based on the Joker, but I, I don't know what to make of that. But, uh, you know, that's going to be kind of an intriguing one. But they just need to stick to singular movies, just established characters, and uh, and don't worry about the teamings and the verses and the meets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because I was talking about this actually today with some coworkers. And yeah, that they said, oh, the DC Universe movies suck. And I said, why? They just suck. And I was like, well, give me a reason, because I feel like that's the general consensus. You know, it, it's really kind of interesting because, yeah, like I said, um, Justice League is a bit of a mess. Batman, Superman, Batman versus Superman, excuse me. That has, uh, you know, a, a few problems going with it. But, you know, what's interesting is if you look at Marvel, they also have had their missteps. Remember Thor the Dark World? I mean, you know, but what's interesting is no one even really seems to care or mention that. It's almost like Marvel's missteps and their um, their inadequacies, if you will, are almost kind of forgiven. But it's it's it's, it's it seems like. DC is just the, the easy punching bag in a weird way. And that that's kind of how I always felt. So it's it's really kind of refreshing to see them having this success and um, the fact that they're doing well at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm glad Aquaman's doing well. I'm glad for Dolph that it's doing well. Um, and, and, you know, this is they, – they can definitely put this one in the win column. And I guess their next uh, flick is going to be Shazam. I don't know if that one's going to yeah. really catch on. That, the, the trailer for that does nothing for me. I'll just be honest. I'm kind of over the whole comedic superhero stuff. I just feel like I've seen enough of that. Hey, maybe the, it'll prove me wrong. Maybe it'll be great. Uh, to me, so far, the, the trailers haven't done much for me. I mean, certainly they've been they've been having it, at least during before my showing of Aquaman, they had the trailer. And it, I don't know. It just... It, it, that's one that may may end up in in the the loss the loss column, but I, I do think overall they're 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 headed in the right direction. I, I think it's kind of ironic that you know the characters right now. I mean, for so long, I think everybody would when you thought of DC, you thought Batman, Superman, Batman, Superman, and I think it's kind of ironic that those two characters have kind of been the symbols for their decline. While you know the the it's Wonder Woman and Aquaman now that are basically the symbols of their triumph, uh, which I, I think is is very very interesting considering how we've we've always kind of thought of DC, uh, you know, the last uh, thirty or some odd years. Well, you know, for this to work, Warner Brothers and DC they had to infuse. You know, you and I already said it, but they had to infuse a whole lot of cool 
and a whole lot of uh, rock and roll into this property in order for it to be um, in order for it to be successful. And so they did quite a few things. They cast you said it already, but they cast Jason Momoa as Aquaman, uh, who is the complete op- opposite of how Aquaman looks in the comics. I mean, you know, in the comics, he has that blonde hair. I guess you could say, you know, when he did have the harpoon hand, he did have the long hair and the beard. Um but yeah, if if you look at the traditional when Aquaman was first created, yeah, Jason Momoa is um he almost he's kind of like what would be the bully to <laughs> to Aquaman yeah, yeah. in a weird way. Um and they also tapped James Wan to direct and James Wan that's one of he he's a rising I mean he actually is a at this point he's not even a rising name anymore. He is a name. Uh he's probably best known for he did the original Saw, he did the Insidious and the Conjuring franchises. Though, you know what? I have always been partial. I think it is an amazing movie. Probably one of the best movies, in my opinion, of the last decade. But I freaking love Death Sentence. I think that is just one of the best um, gritty crime movies possible. And I, in my opinion, I think it's James Wan's best work. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you there on Death Sentence. I think that's one of the better vigilante movies uh, of recent memory and, you know, it kind of came and went when it was first yeah, no released. One uh, no one talks yeah, about it. Yeah. Well, I think because, you know, there have been just so many of them, you know, between all the earlier death wishes and then your, your more recent death wish and all the different vigilante movies that yeah, I think it, it it's easy for some to get lost in the shuffle, but yeah, that was kind of the first movie of Wands. I mean, I had seen Saw. I'm just not really into into those. I guess they have their audience, and and God bless them. Uh, but I'm I'm just not really into the Saw films. But Death Sentence was one that I saw, and I, and I really uh, thought, okay, this 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 guy knows what he's doing, and I'm interested to see you know where his career is going to go, and and good for him that he's you know really been able to kind of build and build and sort of parlay a, a lot of his his other movies into now making huge franchise films like, you know, he did one of the Fast and Furious pictures. And now with Aquaman, I mean, he's, you know, he's a bona fide star behind the camera. Yeah, well, and this was also uh, this had a collection of writers. I don't know if you saw the list of writers who had a hand in this, but one of them was Will Beale. Are you familiar with Will Beale? No, not really. Not really. Okay, so Will Beale, he is actually a former L.A. cop turned screenwriter. And um, he wrote the script for Gangster Squad, which Gangster Squad was not was not great. No. But I mean, it, it is interesting mm-hmm. to see. Yeah, <laughs> but but it is kind of cool yeah. to see him. And I will say, please check out you. You and I, we've talked about this, but you're a fan of the Shield and the, oh, that, yeah. that amazing cop show. And he wrote a book using his experience from being an LA cop. He wrote a book that you can get pretty pretty cheap used um, called LA Rex which is just a, a gritty um, cop tale set in the, uh, on, on the streets of Los Angeles. It's pretty much a, uh, a, 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 I don't know if you want to call it, not a sequel, but it's in the similar vein of uh, as Dark Blue and Training Day and just those gritty kind of uh, cop movies. But yeah, when I saw that he was attached to this and had a hand in this, I was thinking, okay, that's that's pretty cool. Hopefully, that I will say that there are, we're going to be getting to this, but there are a few lines of dialogue in the film that I was kind of like, Oh boy, I don't know if that plays too well. So hopefully he did not write those. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, no. Um, L.A. Rex was good. Uh, Gangster Squad not so much. But yeah, the fact that um he had a hand in this, I thought I thought was uh was pretty cool. 
yeah, I just to me Gangster Squad was kind of like you know the the MTV Untouchables. It just uh, it, that was a great cast, lots of actors I like, but uh, yeah, that was a, that was a bit of a misfire. But uh, yeah, I wonder what exactly or or how he was able to to you know based on his previous experience, or what led him to get the uh, the Aquaman gig. Well, you know the the film Aquaman, you know it is two and a half hours long. We haven't really talked about this. I mean, this has a pretty a pretty long running time. Um, and the film does jump around. It really only gives us hints at Arthur Curry. We probably we haven't I don't know if we've really established that. We keep calling him Aquaman, but yeah, his his real his birth name is Arthur Curry. Um but the film jumps around and it really only just kind of gives us a little bit of his of his origin story. I don't know about you, but I thought this was a wise move. You know, nowadays you talked about how you're kind of on superhero fatigue at this moment, but you know, I think and nowadays any, any film that wants to um, that is attempting to adapt a comic book or present a superhero, it's a delicate balance anymore with superhero movies these days, especially since we've seen them done correctly and others that are done so poorly. So it's like, okay, do they do a full on origin story and then dive right into him, you know, as, as an adult, I think Aquaman did an excellent job. The film starts off where he is essentially Aquaman. And then we get uh, his origin just a little bit in some flashbacks. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, Definitely think that they made the right call, not doing a full on origin film because I I just don't need it. Um, I, I feel like I've seen, the the origins of all these different characters ad nauseum. So to me, do going back and doing it, uh, you know, a little bit at the beginning, kind of you know, explaining how he was born and what his uh, his parental situation was, and you know, giving us uh, some you know quick glimpses of him as a kid um, at the uh, at the aquarium. That was fine, and then the later the the later on in the movie when they flashbacked when he was a teenager and he was working out with Willem Dafoe that was that's all we needed that was perfect did not need any real extended origin type of a uh, of did not need an hour long to get us to where he's Aquaman so that was a, I think a, a wise move on uh, James Wan's part well and I will say the scene of Arthur at the aquarium on that field trip was a sweet scene. I mean, let, let's let's face it. We saw it in the trailer ad nauseum multiple times, but when you see it in the film, in the context of the film, that is a badass scene. Just that little boy standing there at the aquarium, and all of the fish and various animals are you know behind him, having his back. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, I mean that's just one of many really well done effects uh, in this movie. I mean, I. I talk all the time how I'm just kind of over all the the CGI and the the lights and the sounds and and I but there are lots of really well done effects in this movie and the 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 the, the shots in the aquarium are 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 really well done and uh yeah so I'm with you that was a, an excellent sequence to kind of kind of show you uh, Aquaman as a child now I did read, you know, one of the one of the complaints about the film is that in the two and a half hour running time, it is going for way too much. Um, and that is one complaint that I can certainly see. I mean, it does it does really gloss over his his entire training with uh, Willem Dafoe's character. We haven't talked about him, but Willem Dafoe shows up in the film as uh, the character Volko, and yeah, it does completely 
gloss over that entire aspect. Um, I didn't mind it too much. I will say though, I was thinking, you know, DC, they seem to kind of have, uh, they seem, they kind of have the, the market cornered in, in a sense with their, uh, with their television shows. They seem to be doing extremely, extremely well with their television shows on CW. I'll be honest. I don't watch any of them. <laughs> to be yeah. perfectly well, honest. The, the, yeah, the only, only basically the only ones I watched were when uh, Dolph was on Arrow. That was about it, and I was pretty much just fast forwarding to his scenes. The the rest yeah. of it, I I wasn't wasn't really into. But uh, but yeah, that's that's about all that I've seen. I think I watched the first episode of the Flash series, just maybe out of nostalgia because I used to love the the old uh, 1990 series of the flash. And I, that's maybe the only reason I watched the first one. Uh, uh, it, again, I'm, I'm sure I know they have their fans and there's a lot of them and uh, it's just, I don't know. I'm just not, not really into yeah. it. It's not my thing either, but you know, I do know that um, the CW actually, I think, I think it was the WB if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on this, but when it was the WD, uh, the WB, excuse me, uh, they did film an Aquaman pilot at one period, but then when the WB and the UPN merged into the CW, the CW passed on it. But you know, as I was watching these training sequences, I honestly thought, you know what, if they wanted to, I, now granted, it's not something I think I would, I would watch each week, but if they wanted to, they could make a pretty compelling and intriguing television show that focuses on this period of him being a teenager and training to become the king of Atlantis with, uh, Willem Dafoe's character. If the CW decided to go that route, I don't think they would, but I did see if they choose, chose to do an Aquaman movie and they wanted to kind of do Aquaman as a boy or as a teenager. I don't know. I think that's something that could work. Well, I mean, you could see that happening with the uh, Warner Brothers uh, streaming service. So they're they're basically getting in on that market. They've got the uh, the Titans show, um, yeah. which I haven't seen, but I know that that's going. So you know, they might be looking for for more content, and maybe a uh, the Young Adventures of Aquaman may end up being something they go with. Yeah. But, you know, regarding the uh, the first act of the film, you know, so, yeah, let's break down some of the uh, some of the actors and some of the characters who show up. Um, so, yeah, we do get to know his parents, which I thought was really cool to see. Um, his dad is a human. Uh, the character's name is Thomas Curry. He is a lighthouse keeper and his mom is Atlanta, Queen of Atlantis. So. Thomas Curry is played by the actor uh, Timura Morrison and Atlanta is played by Nicole Kidman. And I don't know about you, but I thought it was great to see Nicole Kidman pop up in this. I feel like when you cast someone like Nicole Kidman, you're just adding a sense of class and a sense of scale to the entire proceedings. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it happens a lot. I think uh, in these kind of movies, they get the, the real established star to kind of play the 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 mother or the father. I mean, they going back to Marlon Brando and Superman, yeah. and you can go with Anthony Hopkins and Thor. And so I, you know, I think that that's kind of been uh, sort of a tradition of getting these acclaimed actors. And and I, you know, I would put Nicole Kidman kind of you know in that league. I mean, she's been she's been doing this for a long time and is you know, gotten a, a lot of acclaim in her career. And certainly not her first time in a, in a DC movie going back to Batman forever. Um, but a, a different sort of role and a, a little more to do in this movie than she, than she had as a Dr. Chase Meridian. Yeah. Now, what do you think of uh, Tamara Morrison as, uh, as, as Arthur's father? Oh, I thought he was really good. He's a, you know, he's another one who's 
he's been a pretty a pretty dependable character actor for a long time now. You know, whenever I kind of see him pop up and stuff, he's always pretty good. And and I thought he had uh you know some really funny dialogue, um, especially in the the early scenes with Nicole Kidman. And uh, and I thought they actually had really good chemistry together and did a good job of kind of showing their relationship. Uh, you know, it's not really a lot of screen time to kind of establish that they've fallen in love. But, you know, given the amount of time they had, I think they, they both did a really good job of making you believe that they would have fallen in love with each other. Well, yeah, he's a uh, he's had an impressive career and he's a uh, he's a lucky guy because uh, on film he's gotten to make out with uh, Nicole Kidman. And then uh, he got to make out with Pamela Anderson in Barbed Wire. We all remember Barbed Wire, right? So, oh, bar, bar, Barbed Wire. Where, where's that reboot? <laughs> so, um, yeah, what's interesting about Timura Morrison is, yeah, he is no stranger to uh, DC Comics-based movies. He actually uh, played the, the character of Abin Sur in the uh, Green Lantern movie from seven years ago. So I just think it's kind of interesting when uh, a lot of these comic-based movies – cast the same actors but in different roles in those universes so <laughs> well i always like when people get real huffy when you try to you know say oh i think so and so would do a good job playing playing a character oh no they've already been this and this and they can't do that and, and it's just not right it's like have these people have they seen the the old dollars trilogy clint eastwood movies or are they do they see Lee Van Cleef playing completely different characters in, in some of these movies? And it's really not that big of a deal. No, no. I will say if you look at uh, if you look at Tamara Morrison from some of his films about 10, 15 years ago and you look at him now, I am convinced he has had some dental work done because he is rocking some pearly whites in this film. Did you notice that at all? Uh, I mean, I didn't notice that they were any more pearly than most, okay. you know, uh, <laughs> big screen actors, but, um, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the movie that I'd seen him in previous to this is, um, he was in the, uh, the, the hard target sequel from, uh, from a year ago. And, uh, but I didn't really notice if his uh, teeth were any whiter, uh, in this movie, as opposed to a uh, hard target too. Well, and can we just say real quick, while we're on the subject of Tamara Morrison, um, I will say, I don't know if this is something else you picked up or not on or not, but the the wigs in this movie are out of control. I mean, and so you have Tamara Morrison at the beginning to show that he is younger. He is wearing this hairpiece that it just none of them look good. I'm just going to say it right now, Chris. None of the wigs that the characters are wearing in this film look good. So you have Tamara Morrison at the beginning uh rocking this hairpiece that it just it just it looks kind of goofy on him you have nicole kidman's you have amber heard's um hers is especially odd considering um the film is going for even more red and color than the source material in the comic books and then you have our man of the hour Dolph. we're going to be talking about his character here in a minute but then you have him i don't know about you but hit the way his hair is flowing in those underwater sequences i was thinking couldn't he have just been wearing a helmet throughout the entire movie? Or at the very least, couldn't he have had his hair tied back? I mean, Patrick Wilson had his hair tied back. So it just, it looks kind of, I, it, the, the special effects for Dolph, I will say, they look okay. But everyone else, it's just like, okay, back to the drawing board with this part here. Uh, you know, it did, didn't really bother me. I, no? I can't say that it was anything that, that I was watching, I mean, and, and really uh, griping about I mean, I kind of, I dug Dolph's look in it, in this movie. It's, it, it's just, it's different. So anytime we can get something that's a little bit different 
uh, from him and, you know, a, little, a slightly different look. Uh, you know, I, I'm all for it. And, uh, and I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think some people have thought that maybe he looked a little silly with the, the red. But to me, eh, it's different. Uh, I enjoyed it. And no, I really none of the other uh, hair pieces uh, really nothing really took me out of the movie that I can recall. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some of the other players, some of the other actors who round out this cast. So we mentioned Willem Dafoe. Um, he is an Atlantean who comes in to to train the young Arthur Curry. Um, we have Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson, he's pretty much our main antagonist, the main bad guy. Um, he plays the character of Orm, who, um, if you follow the comics, you'd know uh, he is the Ocean Master. What's interesting to me about Patrick, uh, excuse me, Patrick Wilson, yeah, is he seems to be the uh, the muse, if you will, of uh, of James Wan. It, it's interesting. Wherever James Wan goes, uh, Patrick Wilson seems to follow. Um, what do you think of Patrick Wilson? Oh, I think he's a good actor. Uh, you know, he's been pretty dependable, pretty solid for a while. Um, you know, I liked him as the the villain in the A Team movie, um, which uh, you know I think is kind of a movie that people have just kind of forgotten about, but but is actually pretty pretty damn good. I think it's a lot better than people kind of give it credit for, and and I liked him as uh, sort of the heavy in that flick. And uh, God, I saw him in a movie. I wish I could remember the name of it, where he just kind of becomes a guy who gets uh, addicted to call girls. Uh, this guy, this had to have been maybe three or four years ago. I, I can't remember the name of it, but I thought he was good in that. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's pretty, pretty solid, pretty dependable. And, you know, I really like, you know, talking about the, the looks of these characters. I loved the fact, and, and I've seen him talk about this in interviews, that he basically wanted his character to look more like the traditional version of Aquaman or how yes. we kind of think of Aquaman. And and that he wanted that look because he knew that, you know, Jason Momoa, he's obviously, you know, long hair, pretty dark, and is kind of the exact opposite of him. So he wanted his look to be even as, as opposite from Momoa as possible. And so I think having the villain have that more traditional Aquaman look, it was, was a really good decision. And I think an interesting choice and, and one that really paid off well with his character. Well, and then we uh, we also, you know, I, I agree with you regarding uh, Patrick Wilson, because I also think he is he is a dependable actor. You know, what's interesting is I, I, he's not he's not a terrible actor. I've just never really found him to be entirely memorable. I mean, his his presence to me personally, he's always that kind of actor that's just kind of bland. And I feel like in this film in particular, he seems to be pretty much playing at just one speed. And that is pretty much pretty much it. We don't see a heck of a lot of range from him in this film. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's not really the kind of character that you're going to get a ton of range with. I mean, he's you know he's it's again it's the main villain in a in a Aquaman movie. So I, I feel like he did about as good a job as as you could expect from that type of character. I, I think maybe, you know, you're, if you're going to compare him to kind of a, a similar character, I think, you you know, and a lot of people have already done this is his, uh, his motives and his actions are pretty similar to Michael B. Jordan in, uh, in black Panther. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between the relationship between the main hero and main villain in those films. And, you know, certainly Michael B. Jordan's gotten, you know, a ton of praise for black Panther and, you know, maybe Patrick Wilson isn't going to get quite as much for his work in Aquaman, but I thought he did a good job. I think 
anytime that you can have an actor, you know, utter the line, call me Ocean Master and, <laughs> and, and really sell it and play it to the hilt. That's an actor I like. You know, that's someone who is, is all in and knows what kind of movie that they're starring in. And they're they're gonna go go a hundred percent, and so I think he 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 did a good job, and I think he's an actor. I think he's a better actor than people kind of give him credit for. I, I know what you're saying that he kind of has that kind of bland everyman look to him, um, but I, I think he he does he does pretty good work and is very dependable for the most part. I thought he was actually really good in the Watchmen movie too. Dude. That's another one that I forgot about. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then we have uh, Amber Heard. She shows up as the character of Mara. You know, I, I personally, I, I thought she was doing a great job in this film, though I will admit I, uh, I I never really found her and Jason Momoa to have a heck of a lot of chemistry. I feel like their romance, especially in the uh, later part of the film, feels a little bit forced. But, um, you know, I, I thought she her turning up was excellent. What's really cool, I will say, about these DC films is... There are not any damsel in distresses, excuse me, damsel in distress. We don't see that that particular archetype, if, if you will, at all in these films. And so she is extremely confident, tough, independent. In a lot of ways, she is more in tune with what's going on in Atlantis, much more so than uh, than Arthur Curry. I mean, how many times does she bail him out of uh, of, of trouble? So I really like the uh, the independence and the confidence that they've given um, so many of the women in these DC films. Oh yeah, no, I'm with you there. I think I think she did a really nice job, and you know, like you said, I think she, uh, you know, certainly bails Aquaman out uh, more than in, than the other way around. And uh, but I'm also with you in terms of maybe the the romantic chemistry. I mean, these movies they a lot of times they always have to have a little bit of that in the in. I don't know. I, they they never really work all that well to me in these superhero films, but and this one's no different. But not not really a huge deal breaker uh, in terms of uh, their romantic chemistry. I thought, but some of the banter that they have while they're you know kind of globe hopping uh, was pretty well done. So and, and so yeah, overall I thought her did did a pretty nice job. And then, uh, yeah, and then we have the character of uh, David Kane, who becomes Black Banta. And I'm going to say his name wrong, um, but uh, yeah, I thought he did a wonderful job as the character of Black Manta. Uh, the actor's name is... Uh, I think I can do the name. Okay, okay, go ahead. I think, okay, so it's Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Well done, okay. And he was, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. he was your favorite part about this film, is that right? Oh, I thought he was great. I yeah. thought that... He was great because he's a contrast to what's, for the most part, a pretty goofy movie. I mean, it's a movie where, you know, an octopus is playing bongo drums. And so I, I think when you have this character who's kind of a, a direct contrast and is really not that goofy and is, is – I, I really liked him. I thought the early scenes that he has with uh, with Michael Beach as his father – it's you know it's not a lot of screen time to really kind of develop you know his his hatred of Aquaman, but they did a really good job, and I thought he was excellent. And any time that the that he would kind of enter the picture, uh, you know, I, I think those were some of the stronger moments in the film. And 
Um, and and I, I thought that guy, again, I'd never seen him in anything before. Don't know what he had done previous, but he, I thought he was the highlight of the film, to be honest. Yeah, he's, I, I think he's probably, I mean, he, look, sorry, so I looked it up. He was in the, uh, the Baywatch film. He had a, a very small role in that. And then he was, on, he's on the, uh, there's a show on Netflix, which I haven't seen any of the episodes of, but there's a show on Netflix called The Get Down. I believe. And I think he, okay, he turns yes, up yes. in that. But yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because Aquaman, you know, he really doesn't have the greatest rogues gallery, if you will. But Black Manta is his number one. That is his number one villain. Kind of like how Batman has the Joker. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Superman has Lex Luthor. Black Manta has always been his number one. And so if, if they're going to do a movie based on this particular property, you almost need that particular villain. But, um, yeah, I, I liked it as well. I will say, um, me personally, I thought it was really cool to see, uh, Michael Beach pop up in the beginning as his father. Um, I've always been partial. I know you're not a fan of it, Chris, but I'm just going to say it. Um, Michael Beach did a film about 15, 20 years ago or so, I'd say, uh, called Made Men with James Belushi that he is awesome in. So anybody who, if they can get their hands on it, it's pretty out of print at this point, but uh, he turns up in that as a, uh, as a, as a contract killer. And he is a lot of fun in that film. Yeah, well, the the early Michael Beach film that that I would recommend people check out if uh, you want to see him in a pretty sadistic role is a uh, one false move. That's um, right. Which, uh, you know, he's yeah, with him and uh, Billy Bob Thornton. And you Bill let me Paxton. borrow that. I forgot and, about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's that's one of the most underrated films of the '90s, right there. I love that movie. Great Bill Paxton performance. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton's great, and so is Michael Beach. And uh, so, yeah, if people if people have a hankering to see the uh, younger Michael Beach uh, than he was in Aquaman, then definitely track down one false move because he was terrific in that. And then check out Made Men, of course. Make it a double feature, a Michael yes. Beach marathon. Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? So, um, and you can watch the last twenty minutes. So you can watch the last twenty minutes of True Romance because he shows up as one of the cops with uh, Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore. Well, and then the final season of Sons of Anarchy because isn't he isn't That's he brought into the uh, into Sam Crow right? So yeah, he is. He's <laughs> I think he was he was part. Of, but you know what? I don't I don't want to steer anybody into watching the last season of Sons of Anarchy because uh, yeah, I, I could go on and on about that. That's not not the point of the podcast, but. Oh, good Lord, did that show lose it around that time? Not Michael Beach's fault, though. No, no fault of him. So, no, uh, no. He, he, you know, again, a re- always been a really good character actor. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I really enjoyed seeing him show up. And again, he, it's only a few minutes to kind of establish uh, the Black Manta and, and why he's got an axe to grind with Aquaman. But, uh, but I thought that that whole sequence was pretty effective. Well, and then let's get to, okay, let's face it. Let's get to the big character, okay? He really, I mean, let's face it. Lundgren only has, if you put all of his all of his scenes together, what would you say? It's maybe 12, 15 minutes or so of the film? Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. I mean, it's kind of spaced out over the whole thing, so that's good that you kind of you know get to see him spaced out it's not just kind of one segment of the movie but yeah i would say 12 to 15 minutes sounds about right yeah i think he's sixth or seventh build but yeah dolph comes in he uh he plays the character of king nearest uh this is amber heard's father so he's the father of mara um 
he, he's awesome in this film. I'll just say that right now. He is awesome. Maybe I'm a little biased. I'll say that right now, obviously, considering the nature of the show. Um, yeah. But he gets the best entrance in the film. Just him coming in, riding on a seahorse, wearing a cape. I mean, I am convinced that I, and I, have, I have a couple theories about this that I want to run past you. But I am convinced that James Wan is a huge fan of Masters of the Universe particularly Dolph, um, you know, as He-Man. And so I feel like he wanted to give Lundgren just a powerhouse of an entrance in this film. And when he comes on screen, I don't know about you, but it, it, it was it was pretty cool to see. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this like, like like we had mentioned earlier, you know, he's never really done one of these big special effects superhero kind of movies. I mean... He did, you know, a a, Mar- a technically a Marvel film with the Punisher way back in the day, but uh, those those kind of movies were a lot different than what they're doing now. So yeah, I, I definitely agree that uh, his entrance is, is very cool, and I mean, I think he does a good job holding his own, and uh, you know, in these scenes with with you know most of his scenes are with you know Patrick Wilson and Willem Dafoe, and you know he d- doesn't doesn't seem out of place at all. He seems you know, perfectly natural with with the uh, with those guys and and yeah his entrance was pretty pretty cool well and you know i i don't know if you'd agree with this or not i mean but look dolph does not get to do a heck of a lot of heavy lifting he really doesn't get to do much action in the film but you know what's wild is i feel like his role this is a role that would have gone to the likes of sean connery or roger moore i don't know about you but when i was watching this I couldn't help but be reminded. Do you remember when Sean Connery popped up in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as King Richard? Oh, yeah. And I feel like, I mean, and maybe I'm wrong with this, but I feel like that is what James Wan was going for. He wanted to have the character of King Nearest just to have just this grandiose, epic, king-like presence. Who who better to play this, uh, this badass king who you are not going to cross but Dolph Lundgren? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, He's kind of, you know, he's now in his 60s and he's, you know, going to be playing more of these sort of elder statesman kind of roles. And, uh, you know, in, in a way, that's almost like his performance in Creed 2. I mean, he was he wasn't the man in the ring. He was he was the, the trainer. And so, you know, now he's the king. He's not the warrior. He's the king. And uh, and yeah, and I think uh, this is just kind of the natural progression of uh of of where his career is headed, uh, though I'm sure there's going to be movies where you know he's maybe in his in his smaller type of movies. I'm sure he'll still be the main guy, cracking skulls and breaking necks. Uh, but yeah, in, in these kind of bigger uh, studio films, you know he might be more of the 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 elder statesman and the authority figure and, and those type of performances. Well, everyone who I have spoken to who's seen this film has pretty much had the same reaction and said the same thing to me. Uh, when I ask them, what do you think of Dolph Lundgren? And they, they all, they all have the same reaction in which they say that was Dolph. They, they had no idea that he yeah. was even in the film and that that was him. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I like to think it's a positive, but I can see how it could slightly work against him a little bit. But, you know, it, it is kind of interesting that everybody I've spoken to, they, they had to do a double take because they had no idea that that was him. Well, I think it's good because it shows that he escaped into the character. You know, yeah. he wasn't, it wasn't him with, you know, spiky blonde hair. 
you know, it wasn't him, uh, you know, kind of doing his, you know, with a machine gun strapped to his back in the jungle or anything like that. It was, you know, a very different kind of movie and a pretty different sort of character for him. And so I, I don't think it's it's a problem that he, you know, maybe people aren't quite recognizing him in the movie because that's, again, that's what a good character actor does. You know, he's he's playing this character. He's not playing Dolph. He's playing King Nearest. And uh, that I think he he did the admirably with his uh, with his screen time in in establishing that character. Well, and I can't personally. I cannot think of a film or a time where any of Lundgren's compatriots from the '80s and the '90s really escaped into a role to where you did not know that that was him. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Jean Claude Van Damme. When they're on screen, that's Van Damme. That's Sly. That's Arnold. And this one, uh, well, actually, if you think about it, Lundgren, he did the same thing when he played Street Preacher in Johnny Mnemonic. He, he's one of those action guys that's able to, like you said, escape into, into various roles and almost let you forget that that is, in fact, the, the same guy who was once He-Man or Andrew Scott or the Punisher, whoever it may be. Yeah, well, I think he's... I think he more than a lot of his uh, his colleagues, I guess I'll say, ha, you know, is willing to kind of do different things, is willing to take supporting characters, doesn't necessarily need to be the lead all the time. And and I think that's to his benefit. I think uh, and look, let's be honest. I mean, he makes he makes and is currently making some pretty questionable movies where he's uh, a star in or sometimes even pretty questionable movies where he's a uh, a supporting character <laughs> forgotten um <laughs> but overall he's he is uh he's someone who will take chances and you know doesn't mind not being the the top banana and if he sees a good role in a big movie even if it's not the lead you know he, he'll go for it um so i, I think that's definitely paying off with, with this and and hopefully he's uh, he's going to be continuing to do so and, and get uh, more of these kind of roles in, uh, in bigger movies, because I certainly would like to see it. Well, and r- real quick, refresh my memory, Forgotten. That's the film that um, is literally spelled out number four, G-O-T, and then one zero, mm-hmm. correct? Okay. It's the, it's the yes. most clever thing yes. about the movie. Okay, yeah. yes, yes, I forgot because yeah. that, that was a classic one with Danny Trejo and Johnny Mesner. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Johnny Mesner, the great Johnny Mesner. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, boy, Forgotten was quickly forgotten oh, by and me. Viv- and Vivica A. Fox. Oh, yes, well. yes. Vivica A. Fox. Who filmed, her, who yeah. filmed all her scenes. Yes, Vivica A. Fox, who I think filmed yeah. all her scenes in about an hour. On set and then and then collected her I, paycheck. Yeah, I, no. If, well, if if Lundgren filmed his in, in more than two hours, I'd be stunned as well. So I'm not gonna. We can't just <laughs> we can't just rip on Vivica. I think everybody was uh, was was on uh, was checking their clock quite a bit when they were filming those scenes. Did you notice? Let me ask you this real quick. So, like I said, I I I I, I have I'm convinced that James Wan is a huge fan of Masters of the Universe and. I don't know, maybe I'm looking too much into this, but I feel like there were a few nods to Masters of the Universe. Did you pick up on any of these? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think, like, I don't know, don't you think that that the, the Black Manta, the look of the character, kind of looked like a little bit like the, the henchman that Skeletor had in, in the Masters movie? Well, I, I okay, I think that not just about the look of Black Manta, but just the Atlantean soldiers in general. 
I thought they were kind of similar to, yeah. you know, those foot soldiers. But in the beginning of the film, the first battle between Arthur Curry and Black Manta, uh, Black Manta looks at Arthur Curry and says, I've waited a long time for this. And I'm thinking, okay, come on. Like, okay, maybe it's completely coincidental. I don't know, but I'd like to think that maybe that was thrown in there. And then there's another scene where it's where, um, it's when, uh, Arthur Curry first goes to Atlantis and runs afoul of all, uh, of, of his half brother Orm. Um, he's in prison when he's on Atlantis where his arms are strapped to these chains. And it's very reminiscent of when He-Man was imprisoned on Eternia and Masters of the Universe. Like I said, it could be a, co- a complete coincidence, but to me, it's almost too much of a coincidence to be that. I'd like to think that there's, that there's a little, there's a little nod going on there, even if it's a slight one. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because I mean I I I'm, I, I know that Juan has said when you know when he's talked about casting Dolph that he had mentioned that he was a fan of the uh, the the Masters movie, so it, it would not surprise me at all if there were little nods uh, to to that film in Aquaman, and, and I think like Aquaman, like Masters, you know, I think is kind of a campy movie, isn't taking itself super seriously. Um, even though, you know, the budget is, you know, probably about 10 times what the Masters movie cost. But I, I think there is kind of a similar, you know, hey, look, we're just having a good time here where it's 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 not life and death to so just kind of sit back and, uh, and, and enjoy the ride. So I, I think the, the, the tone of Aquaman also uh, borrows a bit from uh, the old uh, the old uh, campy nature of uh, the Masters of the Universe film. Well, and speaking of tone, you know, I will say I love how in these first 10 minutes, the, the so goes, well, I should probably back up uh, the opening scenes in which, well, I shouldn't say golly, I shouldn't even say the opening scenes because the film does open with a uh, with a brief flashback. But when we are first introduced to David Kane, this is Black Manta and Arthur Curry Aquaman in his current state. Um, yeah, so they're on a submarine, David Kane and his father. They're these high-tech sea pirates who are robbing this submarine. And Aquaman comes in to save the seamen who are on board. You know, I love how in these first 15 minutes where when we when we see Aquaman, we have this heavy metal guitar riff that is played whenever he comes on screen. I think this is pretty much letting everybody know, hey, this is not the Aquaman from Super Friends or Family Guy. So all those preconceived notions of him being the dork, you can throw out the window. This is this is the heavy metal version of this character, and it, it's going to be cool. And you know something? It works. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was a, a, a great way to kind of establish uh, Aquaman as an adult in the, the, the present day. And uh, basically, you know, seeing him just completely kick ass. And giving you a sense of, of what type of character this is, and like you mentioned, not really what we initially uh, think of as Aquaman, based on kind of old cartoons or w- whatever we may have seen of the character. And and so yeah, it, it was a good introduction, uh, and, and I think there's some some pretty you know again for a, for a PG thirteen film, I think there were some pretty cool uh, action beats going on in that uh, initial scene on the submarine. Well, and, you know, if we skip forward into the film, another great action scene that, that really plays off well is when Arthur Curry battles Orm for the first time in combat. I personally, I love the scene. I think the underwater sequences of the film, they they look great. They work well. I love how when the characters all speak 
it kind of echoes, letting you know that it's um, that it's underwater. And then just the way the tridents, when they're when they're swinging, they're doing this pulling effect in the water, as you do when you have something submerged underwater. Of course, it's going to pull the water. So when you see these tridents in slow motion hitting one another, I mean, it just it all looks very epic and very Arthurian and uh, grandiose in scale compared to compared to everything else that we've seen within the superhero genre. Well, yeah, and like like I mentioned earlier, octopus playing the bongos, and there you go. Yeah, that's uh, you can't can't go wrong with that. The other the other funny little touch uh, during that that fight sequence underwater was uh, the moment where they're showing kind of the the sports center stats. Yeah, where they have uh, <laughs> Orm listed on one side, and then Aquaman they just have him listed as half breed. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a that that was kind of a, a funny touch. Uh, so you know, kudos to whoever whoever thought that gag up. Um, again, kind of showing you that the movie it had a little bit of a tongue in cheek kind of tone, um, even though it is a, a life and de- uh, life and death fight between two brothers. Um, but uh, but yeah, again, I, I love that sequence, and, and you know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again: the effects were incredible. I mean, in this movie, it's it's. I I mean, I'm I'm not really usually into these CGI driven movies, but man, I thought that uh, everything looked really well done in this movie. And you know, the, the, I don't know, I don't know exactly what they are reporting the budget at, but man, it looks better than, uh, than a lot of movies that I think uh, end up being more expensive than Aquaman. Now the second act of the film is where things do get, um, is where, I don't know, it starts to, uh, it starts to slow down a little bit. It almost needs to catch its breath, which is understandable. But what's really weird is I, I was kind of a little frustrated at this second act slightly. The, the film essentially becomes Tomb Raider in, <laughs> in the second act where Arthur Curry and Mara are globetrotting. Yeah. They're going to the Sahara Desert and then to Italy. They're, they're basically, you know, look, they're, they're, fi- they're searching for the MacGuffin of the movie. Okay. They're looking for the location right, of this right. magical trident. But I don't know about you. I thought, you know, on one hand, I, I think it's kind of cool. They're, they're, you know, again, adding this scale, trying to make it epic by having your, your hero, you know, globetrot. But it was kind of just an odd choice considering they're going to the Sahara Desert when this is Aquaman. I mean, I, there was a part of me that kind of thought, okay, you know what? Shouldn't they be spending more time in the water and having Arthur Curry get better acquainted with this world than going to the complete opposite of the of the water? <laughs> um, I See, I like a lot of the sequences in the, in the desert and then the, the big action sequence in the, in the Italian city. I thought those were really cool. I thought those added a lot of color uh, to the film, and uh, I thought those were really that was a really good set piece when uh, when Black Manta and his uh, goons uh, try to take out uh, take out Aquaman there. Uh, so yeah, I kind of disagree. I I thought that that was actually those were some fun moments, um, and again. We we know that Aquaman is kind of of the sea, but he's also you know raised on land. So I, I don't necessarily need the whole movie to be underwater to to be uh, to to be successful. I think they they spent plenty of time underwater, and I think mixing it up with some uh, some land based action uh, was a good move. So yeah, and you know you you said it already. I mean, if we if we jumped forward all the way to the final act, I mean it becomes a full on CGI fest. But you know what? 
I don't mind it here. Unlike, you know, so many of those other films with momentous battles, I find myself lost and unclear of exactly who's fighting who and what's going on. Uh, case in point, the Transformers films. Oh, yeah. I never know what in the, what in the hell I'm looking at in, the, in no. those films. Here with Aquaman, it all makes sense, and I never once got lost. You know, you have pretty much everything thrown in here. You have CGI horses and CGI sharks and giant monsters. I mean, it is it is completely you know out of control, but it's a ton of fun. One criticism that um, that I did hear uh, <laughs> I did hear someone uh, make that uh, you know it's I guess on one hand I agree with it, but I think that's part of the film's charm is that the the final act looks like a uh, a Lisa Frank trapper keeper come to life. And mm. but you know what I, I think in a yeah. in a weird way that's kind of a, a compliment. This is Aquaman. And well, is yeah. that is that going is something like that going to work in a in a Batman film? Absolutely not. In a Superman film, probably not. But considering this is Aquaman's world and his universe, yeah, I think he exists in a Lisa Frank animated world. So I feel yeah. like it works there. Yeah, to me, like, again, you brought up Transformers, and to me, that's like the ultimate example of just a bunch of stuff going on, and I don't know where one one robot ends and another one begins, and who is who and what is what. And, you know, that's why I've I've actually never seen more than just the first one of those movies. But uh, but in this one, I, I feel like, OK, I know who the good guys are. I know who the bad guys are. They introduce the crab people and and but they're on the good side. I got it. And uh, and so, yeah, I thought that all that stuff was was well done. And that's pretty much how uh, how you would want a, a, a gigantic climax in an Aquaman movie to be handled. I will say, you know, when you have a film that is nothing but this CGI, it does kind of pose the question in a really weird way. If you remember about, uh, what was it, 15, 16 years ago, maybe longer, when that Final Fantasy movie came out. Do you remember that? What was it, Final Fantasy Spirits Within? Yeah, and, I, I, I did. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, and, you know, it does kind of pose the question and the argument to where if you have this much CGI – being thrown at you to the point where it's kind of like, well, do you even really need actors? You know what I mean? Because if you think about it, in the end, the entire thing could be a uh, an anime, a 3D animated film if they wanted. Um, I don't know. I, I think the actors add to it and make it certainly realistic. But it is it is an interesting food for thought because if you look at a lot of the, the behind the scenes of the film – it's pretty much the actors on green screens, and that's pretty much it. And I will also argue uh, <laughs> it, that in in the final act, when you see Aquaman um, jumping around, that's not even Jason Momoa. I mean, that is they have completely animated his movements and him uh, flying around. So it is something to think about. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all dependent on the movie. Um, you know, I think there have been times uh where these kind of you know these CGI characters can can actually carry a film. I mean, I think you can look at, you know, Thanos in, in Infinity War. Uh, you know, a movie that I'm kind of so-so on overall, but I think Thanos is probably the best thing about it. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. just a CGI character. Now on the flip side, I think you go to uh Steppenwolf in the Justice League film where I, I I didn't give a damn what was going on with, with Steppenwolf and I, I a lot of times I didn't really understand what was going on with the with the character and so that to me that's the other the other side of things so I, I think it all just depends on, on on the execution on the writing 
and, and how the characters are presented. And, you know, sometimes a, a totally CGI character uh, is all you need. But I think in this instance, I, I think it helps the fact that you're dealing with mostly, you know, human actors. Obviously, there are some, some CGI characters that in there, but for the most part, you're dealing with uh, with actors that are just kind of uh, in front of uh, several effects. Well, and it is really cool. I, I do love how they save the traditional famous costume from the comic for the very end. And I, you know, I, I thought that was really cool. And they're pretty faithful to the uh, the source material. So, yeah, he does get to don the famous costume that we see in the comic, that green and the orange. Uh, extremely true to the comics. I will say, especially seeing this twice, I noticed it much more so the second time. Momoa does not look very comfortable in that costume whatsoever. He is moving extremely stiff. Did you pick up on this at all? I mean, it's very apparent that it is uncomfortable. He's having trouble moving. And I don't know about you, but I got flashbacks to when Michael Keaton was uh, Batman. I mean, if you if you watch Batman nowadays, oh, yeah, yeah. Michael Keaton, he is not moving around very comfortably. And so it is interesting. Um, you know, I actually I did pick up the uh, the book, the the art and making of uh, Aquaman. And so they do have a couple pages that really go into detail on how they made this costume. And it is extremely impressive, but you know, Momoa, he is a, uh, he is a very physically fit and yoked individual. I don't know if uh, as impressive as that costume is, I think they could have uh, done something else that would have let him move a little bit more freely. Yeah. I mean, overall the decision to have him put the outfit on, I think is, is good. Uh, you know, I think it, it kind of appeases if if you happen to be a diehard Aquaman fan, I think you do want that moment uh, of uh, the character in the traditional outfit. But but right. I, I think you were right on that. Uh, he, he did appear pretty stiff in those scenes where he he had that outfit on. And so I, I don't know what exactly went into designing the outfit and and why he, he seemed to be a little uncomfortable in it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you are right that, uh, that he's, he's, it's not a very, not a lot of fluid motions, uh, going on in, in that outfit. Well, and I do, I were going back to the final battle and everything like that. I did, I did, I will admit, I did have to roll my eyes a bit at when, um, you know, there's, I mean, the entire ocean is just a huge war zone going down. And I do have to laugh at how, uh, uh, Aquaman and Mera pretty much pause and stop in the middle of all this action and mayhem to make out. It was kind of like, come on, like really <laughs> at this yeah, moment in time, yeah, I don't think so. But, it is. I mean, I think, like you said, the crab people and everything that happened before that, it's goofy. So I think at that point in the film, they're not going to go for any kind of realism at that point. So No. Well, and, and the other thing is that, uh, you know, part of the reason that this movie has been such a big success is that it's it's actually pretty popular with women. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of crossed over. And, you know, a lot of that has to do, I think, with uh, Momoa's looks. And I think, you know, you, so I think you do kind of have to give that audience, uh, you know, a, a bit of a, a closure on, on the romantic front uh, between those two characters. So, uh, you know, I think you and I can look at it and kind of roll our eyes and say, oh, come on. Uh, but there is, I think, a segment of, of the audience that that's watching this movie and and, and needs that sort of scene. Um, so I, I think it does serve a purpose in, in its own way. 
Well, let me ask you, Chris, um, at this point, I, I know that uh, the Lundgren has a couple movies uh, that he's filming. He currently has one that he's filming called it's on one hand, it's going by acceleration in some parts. And then it's also being known as the driver. And he's doing that with Chuck Liddell. Uh, he also has malevolence supposedly on the dock that he is uh, planning on starring in and directing. But I'm curious in your ideal world, where would you like to see Dolph Lundgren's career going forward? Considering 2018 was uh, so such a momentous year for him. We're now in 2019. Where would you like to see his career going? Uh, well, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see him do a mixture of, you know, starring roles in uh, higher pedigreed uh, VOD movies, basically. You know, stuff that's on the level of a skin trade, you know, stuff that, that he seems to have an interest in and that he's, you know, legitimately. That's why the fact that he wants to direct Malevolence, I think, is a good sign because that tells me, okay, this is something that he has a passion for and he's going to want to make it the best movie it can be. Uh, you know, unfortunately the, the, the first few movies that we're going to get from him post Creed two and Aquaman are some of these, you know, filmed in 12 days, Chuck Liddell, uh, extravaganzas, uh, a couple, I guess that were filmed in Italy and then this this most recent one that I guess was filmed in uh, in Southern California, and and I dropped the uh, the news I think earlier uh, earlier to you uh, that this this one that may be called the driver, maybe acceleration. Uh, apparently, it will feature the great Danny Trejo in the role Oof. of a Angel Santos. Boy, Danny Trejo, he films like what forty five movies a year, so hopefully he's gonna be able to fit yeah. this one in. So <laughs> he films he films like forty five movies a year, and then he was uh, just a couple days ago at the the Rams uh, Cowboys game. I guess he's a big Rams fan. I saw him. Oh, he, wow. They showed him on the telecast. So yeah, he's everywhere. I'm telling you, that guy. If you've got if if you if, if you've got enough zeros on that check, you will get Danny Trejo to show up. That's just the way it goes. And I'm not too thrilled that Lundgren has done some of these movies. I mean, I get that. Hey, look, he's he's. He's a working actor. He's got bills. Uh, you know, that's that's just the reality of the situation. And even though it's great that he's had these two big movies uh, released so close together, that that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be getting A-list offers right out of the right out of the shoot. But I do hope that the fact that he's been in both Creed 2 and Aquaman can can make him a little more viable for some good character actor parts. Uh, Cause I think that he is, he, he showed, I think more so in Creed two, but also at Aquaman that, that he can do those kind of roles that he's, he's got a little bit of, of range to him and mm -hmm. that he's, he, he's certainly talented enough to, to, to hold his own with, with all your other, you know, big time actors. Um, again, I mean, I, I know you did the Creed two episode, so I won't go over that, but I mean, I, I thought he was just phenomenal in that movie. And uh, that was uh, kind of the, the, the highlight for him, really, the last few years was, was Creed II. Um, but, but also did a nice job in Aquaman. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him cast and, and hopefully film uh, another high-profile uh, type, of, type of role. Now that's, that's, I, I feel like that's going to happen. I'm pretty optimistic. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to get a few cheapo ones uh, that are going to be thrust upon us. 
but but again, I, I also hope that he does Malevolent because I think that that sounds like an interesting project for him, and I'm glad to see him uh, back directing because he hasn't directed a movie in about ten years. No, I, I honestly think I think Adolf puts forth his best work when he is behind the camera as well. You yeah. know, um, I, I agree with you. I would like to see him put together some high profile video on demand projects like you. I think Skin Trade is probably one of the most polished of those films that he's put out within the past, you know, 10 years. Um, and I also would like to see him back on the big screen, taking on uh, roles. It does not have to be a, a main role, but some of these side supporting character roles um, I would like to see. The one thing I, I do, I am slightly apprehensive about that on, and I, I kind of, I thought about this the other day, but if you think about it, every one of Dolph's theatrical releases has had him being the villain. Even in something like Aquaman, where he is not um, entirely bad or he's not a full-on bad guy, he still has those shades of gray. And I honestly think, you know, I think Dolph, he has so much more to offer to where if he is going to be on the big screen, he does not need to be the, uh, he does not need to be the bad guy or one of the bad guys. You know, um, I personally, um, I know there's been a, a lot of people, you know, John Wick 3 is going to be coming out in May. And I know that I am not alone in saying this, but I think uh, uh, the universe of John Wick would, uh, a guy like Lundgren would service that, that world that, uh, that John Wick has created. And he would be an excellent addition to that cast. But if they did, which I, I think John Wick 3 is actually going to be the final one, but if they did, um, rather than having him show up as one of the assassins, I'd love to see him as uh, the Lawrence Fishburne character or as the mentor or something like that. I think, you know, if you're going to cast someone like him, yeah, he is an opposing villain. He can be a, a, a menacing bad guy, but you know what? He can do more. And so um, that's kind of my wish. That's what I would like to see. Yeah, no, I think that's, a, a perfect a perfect franchise that he would be uh would be uh certainly uh right uh full four absolutely is showing up in in a wick movie you know i i just read today that they've uh signed uh what christopher mcquarrie to to sign uh to to direct two more mission impossible films i could see him showing up in something like that i mean i think that's the kind of uh of a franchise where I, I could see envision him popping up as, as a heavy. Um, I, I think, I, I think he's, he's, there's no reason that he can't be in, you know, more of these kind of big budget movies. And, uh, cause look, he, he's, he's obviously shown a willingness to do them. And I personally, I would much, I would much rather that he, see him as the sixth or seventh lead in, in, uh, in a superhero movie or, or a, a Mission Impossible film than to be doing these, uh, you know, Chuck Liddell, Danny Trejo movies. I understand bills to pay them. It makes perfect sense to me, but you know, it, it's, I, I think it, those at this point on the heels of, of these two big movies, I think those are just a little bit beneath them. So if he, if he's going to do the, the, the smaller movies, there are, good directors who make those smaller movies. There's Isaac Florentine. There's Jesse Johnson. There are, there are guys who, who are, who do a good job with those. So if he's going to do those, you know, hook up with those guys uh, and, and work with those guys. And cause I think that they, uh, that there, there are people who know how to make those movies. He's one of them. I mean, he's, he's made those movies as a director. Um, and so if he's going to do those, you know, stick with those guys, and uh, and and God, try to if you see if you see Chuck Liddell on the call sheet, just 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 don't do it. Just don't. Yeah, 
Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> as as we wrap this up, Chris, you know, you know the drill. I always like to do two recommends, uh, one as a Dolph Lundgren film and one as just a film in general. So as we look at Aquaman, does this one get a recommend from you? It does. Yes, it gives. I, I would recommend it. Um, you know, I think obviously it's, it's doing quite well. So lots of people are are, uh, are taking the plunge and, and going ahead and seeing it. Um, but it, yeah, look if, for for these kind of movies, it, it's just it's just fun. It's just a fun two hours. Uh, you just kick back and then you know amazing effects work. Uh, I think Jason Momoa is a great job in the uh, as the lead, and uh, it, it's worth checking out. You know, as a Dolph Lundgren movie, I mean, if you're if that's the only reason that you want to go see it, you might be a little disappointed because uh, again, it's it's not a ton of screen time but uh again he does a nice job and he's perfectly capable in the film um so yeah maybe as a as a specifically a Dolph Lundgren movie it doesn't quite measure up but on its own as as what it should be a an Aquaman movie it, it succeeds you know I, I agree with you I think you know as a Dolph Lundgren film for me personally, it, it gets a recommend. I thought it was an absolute treat. I mean, let's face it, Dolph riding a seahorse, like with, with this cape, oh, yeah. Going, yeah. that was just amazing to see. So I thought it was an absolute treat seeing him on the big screen in this role. Um, like I said earlier, he really doesn't get very much action or even really any heavy lifting. He is the royalty, which is, which is okay. Um, you know, for years, I thought it was kind of funny for years. There's been the rumor that there is going to be a masters of the universe reboot film, which personally, I, and that, that the news came out today as well, that they're currently working on another script. I'll be honest with you. It's not going to happen. I don't see it ever happening. Um, but there's always been the rumor. Really? I, I personally, I don't see it happening, but you know, Hey, stranger things have happened. Right. But uh, you know, I, I think, I think it probably will at some, I think, you know, they're always looking to resurrect a lot of these properties and uh, you know, there's, there's, I, I, I think at some point it's something, it will get done. Now that's maybe not in the next two years, but maybe in the next four or five, there, there probably will be one. I, I would say. Well, I know, I know. There's always long been the rumor that um, that fans would love to see Dolph turn up, um, cameoing as the king in the uh, Masters of the Universe reboot. And um, even if that film does particularly get made, I think uh, this particular role is about the closest we're going to get to seeing him play a a kingly role. Um, so yeah, on on a Dolph front, I think it gets a recommend as a film in general. Yeah, most definitely. Um, like I said, it's a ton of fun. I was never bored, not once. And for a film with a two and a half hour running time, uh, the film moves along quickly. Um, I will say that if you are not a huge fan of the superhero genre in general, I don't think Aquaman is going to sway you into enjoying those movies any more than uh, than you may or may not. Um, but, you know, it is I, I did find it to be typical Saturday afternoon popcorn entertainment that I think Anyone and everyone can find something to uh, something to enjoy. And, you know, I, I will also say this. It, I, I, and I said it earlier, but I think it's a nice diversion from the Marvel films. And you know what? I'm going to go out and say it. Aquaman has stayed with me so much more, and I had so much more fun with this than I did Infinity War. Infinity War I saw last May, and um, it, it's interesting because come about the, the end of the month, end of May – 
I, I forgot about it. I really wasn't thinking about it. I really didn't have a desire to go back to it. Aquaman, on the other hand, I hear it came out um, almost a month ago. I'm still thinking about it, and I would love to check it out again. So that that's that's my recommend. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. I mean, for you know, everybody talks about you know the end of Infinity War and all these what you know these characters and they vanish. I mean, but every, I mean they're all pretty much alive. I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, they're all yeah. basically coming back. So how dramatic is it? Uh, it didn't really seem all that dramatic to me. Um, but you know, maybe I should check it out again on Netflix and give it another try. Um, but yeah, I, I, I also wasn't all that thrilled. I liked Thanos. That was a cool character. Um, but uh, aside from that, I, I don't know. I just, maybe I'm just, like I said, I am overall, I'm superhero fatigued, but that fatigue did not impair my enjoyment of Aquaman. Well, Chris, before I let you go, is there uh, – I, I know you haven't had anything that uh, that you're working on or want to give a shout-out to, but is there anyone that you'd like to give a shout-out to? Or are there any any films that you've seen or anything that uh, that you would like to mention that uh, you recommend people checking out? Well, I did see, and I know you saw it too, the, the newest Van Damme movie, The Bouncer. Yes. Uh, you know, that was okay. Uh, it you know, I, I think we had talked about it previously, you know, nice to see him in like a very polished movie, you know, not kind of a cheapo video on demand type of thing. It is an honest to God movie. Uh, you know, I, look, I, I'm, I like when he flexes his acting muscle, but I could have probably used him kicking a few more people in the head. I, maybe I'm just kind of old fashioned that way, but I, I think that uh, a few more kicks to the head would have helped the movie, but I, I did for the most part enjoy it. I just can't give it really a, a raving recommendation. Um, but and aside from that, I think I'm looking forward to uh, uh, coming up, and probably by the time this airs, it'll already be available as the the second season of The Punisher on Netflix. That's going to be popping up uh, in a few days, so I'll uh, probably be binging that once it starts up. Very cool. Very cool. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for joining me once again. Uh, this will not be the last time, obviously, but um, I can always count on you. So I do appreciate it uh, wholeheartedly. Um, and to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And we'll see you all next time on I Must Break, this podcast.